welcome to the Destiny podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Okay, so we, we're going to go kind of verse by verse through 1 Corinthians 14. Um, so the 1 Corinthians 12 passage talks about um, spiritual gifts and then 1 Corinthians 13 talks about love so it's putting the spiritual gifts in the context of love and um, 1 Corinthians 12 basically Alan goes through all of the spiritual gifts so that's where he does gets most of his um, he'll go through all the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12 okay and then Paul says but the most important thing is love so you can prophesy and you can and then comes this other chapter which uh, is 1 Corinthians 14 which is the one we're going to look at today and um, the first part of it is is fairly straightforward but then there's a few slightly controversial or more difficult to understand parts of it as you get further on so um, it's it's a really great verse, a great chapter. It's really um, uh, helpful for understanding of all this teaching that we're doing in the prophetic and in spiritual gifts. But you have to understand what why why is Paul writing this and what who is you know who is he writing it to and and what is the purpose of his writing? And basically, he's writing to. Quite, quite often Paul is addressing issues within the church. So while this letter to the Corinthians is written to us as well, we gain benefit from it because all scripture is is for our correction and edification. Um, he's also speaking to the Corinthians on a particular issue. And it seems that what he is addressing is order, order for the times that they meet together. So he's talking about public meetings and that it seems like the purpose of him writing to them is about order about um this is this is this is the way things should should run now whether that is because there was a problem he's addressing um whether he noticed something whether he was answering a question that they'd written to him it's not very clear but it seems that there had been something going on with the Corinthian church where the spiritual gifts were being abused or being there was some kind of disorder or something was happening that Paul felt necessary to correct. Okay, so we'll just go through it verse by verse. The first, the first verses are pretty straightforward. Um, so it says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Paula Jane just um, mentioned that. So so this is right after that love is chapter. So then, then he says, pursue love. So he, he's again saying it's all about love. It's all about love. But then he says, and on top of that, desire spiritual gifts. And the reason he's saying that is because it's just such a, it's, it can really shift the dimension that we live in and that other people can live in. Yes, you can love somebody and you can be nice to them and kind to them and forgive them and give them a hug and look after them. But if you can give them a word that really enables them to connect with God or 
understand something more of God or step into something that they can really um, grow in and enjoy. It's something more powerful and, it, and it's something that really should be natural to us as Christians, but we, we have kind of lost what it is to be spiritual beings along the line. So we find it a bit difficult because we find this separation between our spiritual side of us and our flesh side of us. But actually God's intention was that we were spiritual beings and that we would, it would just be, is it Bill Johnson who says naturally supernatural? Is that his phrase? That, that, is, that is God's purpose for us. And um, so Paul is saying, uh, desire spiritual gifts that's it's part of the deal and uh, and that also means that again just say what Paula Day says it doesn't mean to say that you sit around and wait for it to happen because honestly we wouldn't have encouraged Phil this morning if we hadn't sat down to encourage him he'd have had a nice day and he'd have taught but he's probably more encouraged hopefully more encouraged when he left than when he came in and that's because we just decided we're going to prophet over Phil and then um, then Paul says especially that you may prophesy so so Paul has this great thing about prophecy prophecy um, do you know the other spiritual gifts do you um, in 12 so word of wisdom word of knowledge speaking tongues interpretation of tongues prophecy gift of healing gift of faith Yeah, I think I said tongues, tongues and interpretation. Anyway, we're talking about those things. Um, and but, but Paul is saying, of all of those, desire prophecy. And I think that's because prophecy, first of all, it's not a mystical thing. It's not something that is kind of um, unable to understand. It's something that is, it, it really helps us in the level of our heart and our mind. And it's because of the, the, the same issue. It's about encouraging, edifying, exhorting. And then Paul gets into this discussion about the difference between speaking in tongues and speaking in prof the prophetic. And um, do, you, you, do you both speak in tongues? Yeah, so you know what we're talking about in speaking in tongues. So it's a heavenly language. It's a language that we don't understand. It might be understandable by somebody. Um, so there's, there's two aspects of speaking in tongues and Paul kind of mixes these up in this chapter where, where we can get a bit confused about what he's talking about. So there's the speaking in tongues that you or I can do on our own, walking down the street, when we're praying, when we're singing to God, when, whatever, the, just that speaking in tongues. And there is this gift of speaking in tongues and that we don't see it very much in our meetings at all. I, I don't know if I've ever seen it. We used to do it at the other church quite a lot, but it was like that old-fashioned way of, you know, the old guy getting up and speaking tongues in a weird voice, you know, and then... So that gift of speaking tongues is where somebody gets up in public and speaks in tongues as a proclamation towards to the people okay so we need to understand that when we come to hearing what Paul is talking about so uh, verse 2 he says for he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God 
for no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. So there's some really important reasons for speaking in tongues. Um, you're speaking to God. You're speaking mysteries to God. You're speaking things you don't understand to God. It's a great thing to do and it's a great, it's a, it's a great gift that God has given us. But then Paul says, but he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation and comfort to men. So, so Paul is saying it's different. There's a difference between speaking in tongues, which is to God, and speaking to men. And when you speak to men in words that, that they can understand, that comfort, edify, and exhort them, then that is something of much greater value when it comes to relating to men. He who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Edify means to build up, um, to, to enlighten, to instruct the mind, to, to uh, en enlighten, yeah. Um, so if you just speak in a tongue, it does you good. But if you speak a prophetic word, then it can affect the whole church. So then Paul wants to make it clear, because it sounds like later on that Paul is not very keen on speaking in tongues, but he is very keen on speaking in tongues. And he says, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. So he wants everyone to speak in tongues. Paul was not against speaking in tongues, but when he's talking about public worship, the meeting together, he says it's more important that somebody would prophesy. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues. Now that doesn't mean to say they're higher up in the church or more important. It just means they're doing something that is more important in a corporate meeting. Unless, okay, and here's the big unless. Unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. And this whole idea of the gift of tongue and the gift of interpretation of tongue is about a public meeting. So it would mean I would stand up and speak in tongues and then either I or somebody else would stand up immediately and interpret that tongue. I don't know why God did that. I've no idea why God put the tongues in the middle. I don't know whether it's a faith thing. I don't know whether, I don't know. He did. It's in the Bible and it's a spiritual gift. Um, that person, it says interpret, not translate. So basically when you, when you speak out in a tongue, you know, if you've ever seen it, somebody might say three words in a tongue and then the person who translates spends 10 minutes telling you what they just said and you think, just a minute. He only spoke three words and now you're spending 10 minutes, but that's what interpretation is. It's not direct translation. It's not word for word. It's saying this is basically what, what we believe God was saying through that tongue. Or the other way around, somebody speaks in tongues for five minutes and the guy gets up and says, God is saying that and that's it. So um, that's what it's talking about when, it's talking about when, when Paul is talking about don't speak in tongues in public unless somebody is there to interpret. Doesn't mean to say you can't quietly under your breath personally speak to God in tongues. It doesn't mean to say in the worship publicly you don't speak in tongues. It's talking about taking the microphone and making a declaration in tongues. 
So, um, so unless indeed he interprets that the ch church may receive edification. If somebody stands there with a microphone and speaks in tongues, everybody's like, um, fine, doesn't help us, okay, unless somebody tells what it is. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Paul sp spends a lot of time in this chapter saying exactly the same thing. Maybe the Corinthians were not very uh, intelligent, or maybe he's so passionate about this issue, or maybe, I don't know, maybe the... Corinthian church had a lot of people who were just speaking out in tongues all the time and it was all a big mess. So he's saying the profit that you get, P-R-O-F-I-T, that you get from communicating with one another, uh, is it, the benefit is revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. That's what benefits us when we come together. If I stand here for the next 10 minutes and speak in tongues, it's not really going to benefit you. So that's, that's all that Paul is saying. And then he makes this um, connection with the fact that even in natural things, there's an order in order to make something understood. Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Same thing, same point again. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I don't know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So what he's saying is nobody's really interested about you showing off how fantastically well you can speak in tongues, because that doesn't edify anybody else apart from yourself. So he's saying in, in part of your heart and your passion for chasing after spiritual gifts, the purpose is to build people up. The purpose is to encourage people. The purpose is to, to um, make things better after you've done it than before you did it. Okay. So excel, excel in it, do it really well, but do it really well in order not to prove how spiritual you are or to prove how much God uses you or to impress somebody, but do it because it, it edifies the church. It, it helps to build something up. So then he goes again. He says again <laughs> the same thing. He says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So it gives us information about what praying in the spirit is it's it's about your spirit praying um, but we don't understand it it edifies ourselves. it builds up our inner man but it doesn't help our understanding so then Paul finally says what is the conclusion then he says I will pray in the spirit and I will also pray with understanding so I'll pray in tongues and I'll pray in my language 
I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. And it's quite interesting because he's, he says here, I will. And um, we've probably talked about it already, and we'll talk about it again. But these spiritual gifts are under our will. And I never believed that for years because I thought if you got a prophecy, God kind of, you know, came down, shook you by the shoulders and spoke to you and made you speak his word. But it's not about that. It's about our will and we can choose to. We, we can choose to prophesy. We chose to prophesy over Phil. We probably didn't feel like it. Um, we probably didn't feel very spiritual, but it's something that you can will to do that you you will uh, so that's why you can have a prophetic tent where people come and they come in front of you and you prophesy over them I, I don't know them I don't know anything about them but I just choose to say God what are you saying and to be honest the more you do that and the more willing you are to say what he's saying the more it flows and um, it's harder to start so even in one day, it's harder when, well, I find it's harder to start. But once you start, once you start opening your mouth, once you start, then it, it, it follows on, it, it comes. But the other issue of the will is, um, I, I'm not sure your, your experience, but I've certainly been in churches over the times where people apparently get so overtaken by the spirit that they cannot stop manifesting a gift of the spirit um, so you know somebody will come running down the aisle of the church speaking in tongues and can't stop speaking in tongues or you've probably seen it on some movies or whatever <laughs> uh, or you know they just won't stop um, they just won't stop uh, manifesting a certain part of you know a certain spiritual thing and um, it's under your will and your control. And I would say if something is happening to you that you cannot control, then it probably isn't the Spirit of God. So the, the Spirit that causes you, the Spirit of God that causes you to prophesy or speak in tongues or uh, um, have a word of knowledge or whatever is entirely according to your will. So God will never overtake you and force you so that you can't stop. And I think for people who cannot stop, then there's a number of issues. Either it's a religious habit that they've learnt, so they just have this idea that it's more spiritual to do that. Um, it's a demon. It's it's a, a need for something else. There's just a, a soulish need that you need to draw attention to yourself or look like you're spiritual. Now, I, I'm, I'm not talking about the fact that there are times when th there is a phys physical manifestation of the Spirit of God and even then that is in our control. So, for example, people laughing or people rolling on the floor, that is also under your control. But um, you can choose to give into it and the more you choose to give into it the harder it is to stop it okay do you understand what i'm saying what paul is saying is you cannot there are some people who will go to the front start speaking in tongues and just will not stop 
and their excuses, but it's the Spirit of God. This is God speaking. The reality is you're just disrupting the meeting and drawing attention to yourself for whatever reason that is, whether that's learned religious behavior, whether it's you really do think you can't stop, whether it's a demonic thing, whether it's a personality thing. And Paul is saying, it's under your control. So we, we can control it to do it and we can control it to stop it as well. And he says that a bit later on as well. Okay. Then comes a little bit of a more difficult thing, thing to understand. So verse 16 says, Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen. Uninformed. Have you got have you got a German translation or you verse sixteen? Do you know what what the word is that is uninformed? Is it stranger or foreigner or enquirer? Yeah. informed yeah it's somebody who does it's an um, uh, either an unbeliever or somebody who's walked into the meeting or somebody who's not used to that kind of worship so it's it's talking about somebody who is not a part of you or who doesn't understand what is going on so it's saying if somebody who doesn't understand praying with the spirit how can they agree with it how can they say amen so, um, for indeed, for you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So he's still talking about if you're praying or speaking with the Spirit. 18. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. So Paul is not saying don't speak in tongues. In fact, he says he does it the most of all. And he says this, verse 19, yet in the church... So when you are together in a corporate meeting, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. So that's Paul's heart. His heart is it's more important to teach. The understanding when it comes to a group gathering is more important. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice, malice is evil, wanting to do harm to others. Um, yep, evil, desiring harm to others. So, brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in wanting to do harm to others, be babies. Don't we don't want to to um, make things worse for other people in our meetings, in our church. But in understanding, be mature. In the law it is written, and then he quotes a part of Isaiah which prophesied that in our day we would speak in tongues. So that's just that, that verse of Isaiah that says, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Okay. Then in verse 22 it says, 
Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, for, but for those who believe. It's a really complex verse. I never understood this verse. Um, because it seems like Paul then tells them all, don't speak in tongues with unbelievers there. And then he says, but they're there for a sign for unbelievers. And I used to think that meant that it'll prove to unbelievers that we're kind of spiritual, that they'll see it as a spiritual thing and therefore they'll think, oh, maybe I'm interested in getting to know God too. But in the context of all the rest that Paul has said, that doesn't make any sense. And I, I don't have a complete understanding of this verse, but how I now understand it is a sign does not necessarily mean it's a positive thing. So you can have a warning sign, you can have a negative sign, you can have something that isn't, isn't good. And it's what, what I think it's saying is saying, therefore tongues are, are something that, that, that is a warning sign. It doesn't help unbelievers, it doesn't encourage them. Um, and prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers or those that don't know what's going on, will they not say you are out of your mind? So what Paul is saying, if all you do is speak in tongues, unbelievers are going to think what, you're, you're out of your mind, you're idiots. That's the word that he uses. You, so what he's saying is don't speak in tongues publicly all the time because it really doesn't help unbelievers. It's a sign for them and that sign might be keep away. It might be uh, don't come in here. It's that idea of a sign. It's, a, it's, it's not a positive thing, it's a negative thing. So it, 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 it serves as a warning to unbelievers. That's how I now understand this passage. I don't know in German, does it use another word other than sign? Or? So it just doesn't really make sense. But the, the whole context in which Paul is saying it, he's saying, um, don't do it. It does not help unbelievers if you're just speaking in tongues all the time. Okay. 24. So if 23 says, if the whole church is speaking in tongues all the time, Unbelievers will think you're out of your mind. So it doesn't, it doesn't encourage them, it discourages them. 24, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all and he is convicted by all. So what that means is if, if, you, if you are prophesying and an unbeliever comes in and understands with their understanding what you are saying, or even you prophesy over them and it does something for them, they understand it, it encourages them or comforts them, then, um, then that's good, that's going to really help them. Like, I guess the lady who's saying, God, please speak to me or I'm going to kill myself because I don't believe you're, I don't believe you're real and God says yellow to her. That encourages her. If somebody had stood there and prayed over her in tongues, wouldn't have encouraged her. 25, and thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. So prophecy reveals the secrets of God's heart. And so falling down, sorry, thus the secrets of his, the, 
the person's heart. So what, what it's saying is the prophecy speaks the truth of the heart of the person, which other people can't always know. And it's true when somebody, Ivan and Isabel have so many stories about this of, you know, people bringing their husband who doesn't believe and doesn't want to know and, you know, the husband's kind of standing there like that and prophesy, prophesy over me if you dare kind of thing. And, you know, Isabel would just say one or two things. God saw it when your dad did that or God saw it when this happened or, and the person's completely you know, opened up really to know that God really does know them and and love them. So if 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 somebody prophesies and the secrets of somebody's heart are opened up, he will fall on his face and worship God and report that God is truly among you, which is what we really want, isn't it? Okay, how is it then, brethren? He's changing the topic a bit now. Uh, how should it be? And then he talks about what it should be when we meet together. Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. But let all things be done for edification. So you don't sing a song to prove how amazing you are or show off or anything. The purpose of doing it is just for the common good. And um, I guess this is the ideal of our meetings, although because we have bigger meetings and because we have a leading from the front and a microphone, we tend not to do this very well. I guess we do it a bit better than the more formal service, but I still think we don't do it very well. Um, if, you, if you get more involved in house churches um, who have committed to doing house church as, as the, the way of doing church, then I think people do do it better. So you come to the meeting with an expectation, this is what I have got to give. Whereas I think for years we've got to go to meetings with the expectation of what is somebody going to give me? What am I going to get out of this? You know, am I going to get anything from the worship leader? Am I going to get anything from the uh, preacher? But Paul is saying that the purpose of us coming together is uh, what what have, have we got to bring and what 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 part do we have to play of building up the others and um, we probably could do a lot better I think in that um, although I have to say if anybody is um, nobody would ever be stopped from going to the front and saying I've got an encouraging word for us it's just we get into the habit of not doing it so um, please feel free you're more than welcome and you will see some people do. Some people go and start a different song and we're really open to that. It's just a thing we're not very good at it. Um, so, Paul's back on his old topic again. He's gone back to it. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three, each in turn and let one interpret. So he's back to this idea of if you really want to declare a tongue, then uh, it must be uh, interpreted. So either you, and then it's this interesting, it says, it, it, it says uh, let there be two or at the most three 
each in turn and let one interpret. 28 says, but if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in church and let him speak to himself and to God. I think this is really weird because how do you know until you've spoken your tongue whether there's an interpretation or not? And, and I'm not sure what Paul is saying. I'm not sure whether he's saying we know among us who generally will interpret the gift of, t the, the gift of tongues. And then, therefore, if you know that nobody is here who would normally do it, then you don't do it. Mm, it's possible. Maybe you try it once, and if nobody is around to interpret, then you stop, or you don't let anybody else do it. Um, but what he's saying is the most important thing is making sure if anybody speaks out in a tongue, then it's interpreted and if nobody is interpreting it you can interpret your own tongue um, sometimes you have you only have the tongues but once you speak it you have the interpretation as well so if you know you've got the interpretation then um, so he's saying keep silent in church that, that if there's nobody who will explain what you are saying in, in English or German or whatever then don't say it okay um, but there can be two or three people who give their opinion about what God is saying and uh, that's okay too. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. So we'll speak again a lot about this, but the prophetic has to be judged. Just because somebody stands up and says, thus saith the Lord, it doesn't mean that the Lord hath said. Okay. Nor does it mean that it... It, it's just not, uh, it, it, it might be that God has said, but they've, they've spoken it in a different way. There's all sorts of complex reasons, but pr the prophetic word must be judged, whether it's a small prophetic word, whether it's a prophetic word to the church, whether it's a prophetic word to the nation. Um, so that just because somebody is saying God has said it does not mean God has said it. And God isn't asking us to believe that whatever comes in the name of a prophetic word must be just taken like that. Uh, it's really clear God doesn't work like that. We are human beings and none of us ever, ever will speak the perfect voice of God. We will definitely filter it somehow even the best prophet in the world will definitely filter the word of God. God does not take over our bodies and start controlling our voice box to speak prophetic words. We interpret what God is saying to us and therefore it's imperfect and um, it, you know, it's filtered by our religious belief, it's filtered by our experience of life, it's, it's filtered by lots of things and it, um, we I can't remember which is the next book, but we give you Sean Bolt's book about um, prophetic, and he explains that really well. He explains how some people have a, you know, maybe they've had a bad experience of, of uh, a pastor or something, or just have a really bad attitude about pastors because of that, and then, you know, every prophetic word that comes is something against the, you know, pastor or something, something like that. Of course, it's not prophetic if it's against somebody but you know it has this edge always of of my own experience my own expectation so that's why um the word says judge the prophetic and it's quite okay to judge the prophetic and say 
that is not what I think God is saying. And if God says, God uh, really is saying that, he will say it again with one or more prophet, prophetic voices. So don't be afraid of just saying, sorry, I don't, I don't get that, I don't see that, or I can't see that happening, but I'll just uh, put it to one side. So that's what Paul is saying about we judge. And if you think, no, that's not, that's not what God is saying, then it's quite okay to say. Or you say, yes, that is what God is saying. Okay, so, um, 32, I've spoke about this before. The spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. That means you are in control. This prophetic spirit does not take over you so that you have to run to the front, grab the microphone off the pastor and speak for the next 20 minutes in a prophetic Okay, that's not order in the church, it's not honouring, it's not what God does, it's not godly. God may well have spoken to you and given you a burning prophetic word, and you might be excited about it, um, but it's, it's under your control, and sometimes that means waiting for a while, sometimes it means you don't say it, sometimes, you know, sometimes God tells us stuff this is i'm not really talking about the prophetic but you know words of wisdom and words of knowledge it's not always to be spoken out sometimes it, it's a timing issue it's you know um so you are in control of the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet that's what that means you you have control if you're out of control then um soon be sorted out we don't have it so much in our church because we don't allow it. Um, but if you allow it and if you think it's more spiritual that you can't control it, then it just becomes more common because that's people learn to behave in a certain way. So, okay, God is not the author of confusion but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So our meetings should not be confused. They should be peaceful. That doesn't mean to say it doesn't look a bit chaotic. It doesn't mean to say it has to be boring, but it just means it's it's in order. It's submitted to one another. Um, so it means you're, if somebody comes to you and says, ah, can you just stop? That's not what we're doing at the moment. Of course you can stop because it's under your, under your control. So um, ah, here we are, 34. This is what we're going to get on to. Then Paul seems to jump to something else and you know we, we have our bible like this and this obviously wasn't what what this was written it was the letters to the corinthians was a letter it was handwritten it was on a parchment presumably um we just don't know what it looked like in the original did did paul have a big gap and then do something else did he have little notes we have no idea what it what it was but suddenly Paul seems to jump to a completely different topic and he says let your women keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but they are to be submissive as the law also says wow that's an interesting verse out of nowhere um has been taken literally by many churches and many churches will not allow women to speak because of this verse and it's in the Bible right this verse is in the Bible 
So how do you get around this verse? If you can get around the verse, because it's black and white. Suddenly, Paul is talking about um, women and that they have to keep silent. If they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Not sure what would happen if he didn't have a husband. That's it. You're left in the dark forevermore. Yes. And then Paul says, Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? Really hard to understand what, what he's talking about there. So, what I'm going to do is show you this video because I could teach this, but this guy teaches it really well. And um, he will explain this little bit and um, then we'll carry on and then um, I want to show you just because then we, we are already on the topic of uh, women in the church and women in leadership then um, I want to show you another video um, it's a big deal in the church it's not a big deal here um, but there's loads and loads of churches and across the world there's plenty of places where women are literally not allowed to talk in the church. And if you have any understanding of who God is and what he's like and the fact that God is as female as he is male, he's as masculine as he is feminine and we are all in the image of him and I am just more feminine than you but your feminine is just there as well as your masculine. And the wholeness of God is masculine and feminine. It just doesn't make sense that half of the church have been excluded from being a whole part of the church and taking their, their place. And the reason why we struggle with these passages is because we don't see what was written. And I think he explains it quite well, but basically what Paul is doing is he's answering questions. So basically, the question is, uh, Paul is quoting. So they're saying to him, we've got this idea, we're going to make sure that the women keep silent in the church. And Paul is saying, with regard to women keeping silent in church. That's, that's the, the way it works. So he's, he's saying, I'm answering this issue now, which is why it comes out of the blue. He's talking about, do you know, out of the blue, comes from nowhere. Um, He's, he's talking about church meetings and prophesying and suddenly he says, you know, he says this thing about women and that's because we don't see it but he's come to another topic and the topic is, I'm going to address this issue that you have brought up. And, and he says, what, what, is it, what is it that you're saying? Do you, think, do you think the word of God is only applying to you? And um, so that's, that's what it is. Um, that's what he is expressing. Thank you for listening to the Destiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.